The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I hope you are all doing well. Happy Monday to you. I apologize. Usually I come at you after the games on Sundays. I uh, had some personal things come up that disallowed me to do so yesterday, but I still wanted to get to you, talk a little bit about what transpired with the Cincinnati Bengals yesterday. Uh, again, I apologize for those who were maybe expecting a post-game reaction for from me, from the website, uh, late yesterday. Unfortunately, I just couldn't get to it. But like I said, I wanted to get to, you, get to you today, talk about the game, talk about what we witnessed yesterday as the Bengals fall to 0-10 on the season. Um, they are currently on pace. The, the, the worst record they've ever had as in their franchise history is two and 14. And that was the year before Marvin Lewis arrived. They are currently on pace to, I guess if you want to call it breaking that record, they are currently on pace to do so at 0 and 10. So um, let's get to it. There's, there's a lot to dissect here. There's a lot to, to th- talk about when the, you know, when we're talking about this, this team. So, uh, I see already, uh, in the Facebook chat, Mike Pichirino says Finley did all right. I, I disagree. Um, and it's not, we can, we can blame the offensive line. We can blame the coaches. We can blame, uh, you, you scored 10 points against an Oakland team that really wasn't that stout on defense. Wasn't, um, they're, they're six and four. So kudos to them, but they're not world beaters in my opinion. And yes, you went on the road and you, you know, you went there and rookie quarterback and the whole thing, but 10 points, this team, guys, this team, despite the injuries, this team is averaging 14.7 points per regular season game scored. It's not so much that they're losing. It's that they're losing and they are extremely unentertaining in doing so. Um, you know, if they were putting up 30 plus points, 40 points a week, and they're just, their defense was a shambles and they just, you know, they just keep getting outscored, keep getting outscored. That would be one thing, but they are, they, they cannot score touchdowns. They cannot move the football. Um, they're finally getting Joe Mixon going. 
these past two weeks. Uh, he's got about, you know, I think he's got close to 300 yards, uh, excuse me, 200 yards total the past two games on the ground. He's doing some stuff through the air. They finally get the run game going, and then they can't complement it with the passing game. Ryan Finley, again, uh, you know, he had, I think, 160 yards last week. I think, you know, not much better this week against the the Raiders. He looked rattled quite quite a bit. Um, the offensive line was putrid, 115 yards. So 167 yards against the Ravens, 115 yards against the Raiders. So in two games, he has 282 yards passing. That's not getting it done. He's not pushing the ball downfield. When he does, he's either missing guys or he's laying his receivers out. And you saw the unfortunate situation with Alden Tate yesterday. Hopefully he he sounds like he's okay, but um, still a very scary situation when a guy is carted off the field via ambulance and, and everything. So, um, look, John Jerry was a disaster yesterday. Bobby Hart was a disaster yesterday at tackle. Um, especially in pass protection situations. Both those guys, I think, led up a combined three or four sacks. Um, you know, it's it's the same old song and dance every week here. And I'm seeing, uh, hey, Derek from Scotland. Good to, good to hear from you, man. Thanks for joining us from Scotland. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of comments here. Paul Blanton, nothing else needs to be addressed except Mike Brown. Uh, Mike Holbrook, how's it going, Mike? An owner, an owner who cares. It all starts at the top, of course. Um, that is for sure true. Um, and then you have uh, Sean Moore uh, talking about, uh, you know, just do open tryouts and put the walk-ons on. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what they're kind of doing right now between the injuries and what they've had to deal with the quarterback change. The the thing is though, I've mentioned this on this broadcast. I've mentioned it a number of times, Mike Brown can cycle through as many coaches as he would like, as many quarterbacks as he would like until he embraces a different way to run the football team. We're going to, we're going to see this team keep falling back into these abysses um, where they just can't get out of their own way. They're winning you can count on one hand how many games a year they're winning and still have fingers left over. It's just, it's not a good system. It's not conducive to winning and uh, they need to make some major, major changes in order for this team to, to move forward. Now, you know, someone else in here mentioned, uh, you know, Preston Brown and, and all of that, you know, that could signal potentially something being different about this team. I, we'll see. I mean, they don't normally make a move off of a fresh contract, a lucrative contract to a veteran. They don't make a move away from them so soon after that. Usually they let those people see, those players see the, the end of those contracts. But that's, you know, some money coming off the books next year. Potentially if you trade Andy Dalton, that's about $16, $17 million off the books. And you have no cap hit to take if you deal him. Um, you know, whether or not I would prefer, especially that since they did not trade him at the deadline, I would prefer they hang on to AJ Green, but that's a salary that is not currently on the books for 2020. So maybe that's where some of the free agency movement may happen because they're they're getting rid of a lot of these salaries. I don't know, but we'll see. They they have to do something different because it is not currently currently working. Uh, Jerry must be seeing Max Crosby abusing him in his sleep. That's by Larry Wilson Jr. Yeah. Max Crosby, a guy that, you know, wasn't known as a uh, 
you know, league changing defensive end. Um, I mean, he's a fourth round pick this year. Um, he had four sacks against the Bengals yesterday, uh, two and a half in the other games combined. So, um, <laughs> that tells you a lot of what you need to know about the state of the Bengals offensive line. Not very good. On the other side of the field, the Bengals defense made some plays. They held the Raiders to 17 points. They, they kind of did the bend, but don't break. And really aside from maybe three games, three of these 10 losses, I mean, the, the points they have given up have been manageable. Now I don't want to rush to the defense of Lou Anarumo. I don't want to rush to the defense of that side of the ball because they have been very, very bad in a lot of situations, but that they, with a competent offense that isn't throwing them back out on the field on three and outs with a competent offense that is chewing clock, making, you know, some plays doing things through the air. Um, I mean, this defense points wise for the most part is keeping this team in games. Now they're doing it in very ugly fashion. Josh Jacobs had a nice day on the ground. Um, you know, Derek Carr had a number of 20 plus yard passes uh, kind of exposing the middle of the field again. Um, but Jesse Bates had his second interception in as many weeks. Um, you know, they, they got after the quarterback a little bit. They forced a fumble. Um, you know, I, I, unfortunately this, this is, this tells the tale of this team really over the past year and a half or so, instead of having all three phases work together and producing wins, you have one or two phases play well, and then one absolutely fail, one or more absolutely fail, and you can't put any type of cohesion together to get a win. So in this instance, the Bengals preached, we got to run the football all year. We got to run the football. We got to run the football. We got to run the football. So there's that, and we got to play better defense. We got to tackle. Well, the tackling wasn't great, but you give up 17 points, and your starting running back has 85 yards. Giovanni Bernard had a decent day and limited touches as well. You're running the ball and you hold the the opposition to 17 points. That should be a way to win. And as I mentioned, the Bengals are scoring just 14.7 points per game in the regular season. It's just a little bit better than that. I think it's about 16 points a game with the preseason included. So this the Zach Taylor era with this, you know, big time offense and we're going to we're going to move the ball, we're going to bring Rams out out east and all of that. It's not happening. It's not happening. Um, it's good to see Joe Mixon get going these past couple of weeks, but um, that stuff is just not happening. Uh, Austin Trans says bring back Hugh Jackson as offensive coordinator. Oh, boy. Um, uh, there's also been some people calling for Jay Gruden. I get it, but I mean, do we want to recycle some of these guys? I don't know. Uh, and you have to understand that Jay Gruden and Hugh Jackson were successful when they had a healthy Tyler Eifert, Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu, a healthy AJ Green, and a good offensive line to work with. Okay. The, them coming back into this situation, especially if AJ Green walks, if John Ross never gets fully healthy, um, you know, if nothing really truly materializes with Auden Tate and others in terms of them being viable starters. I don't know. Tyler Boyd, he has moments of greatness and there are times where he gets exposed as, you know, there's not when there's not the help around him. Uh, and I think he's a very good player, but there are times when he, if he is the only guy out there, 
um, it really limits and prohibits what he can do as a weapon. Um, you know, they need to get that group together. They need to get him healthy and they need to, you know, move forward. Malcolm Wilhelm, none of these recycled head, co- uh, head coaches as offensive coordinators. Um, I will say this with Hugh Jackson, with Jay Gruden, maybe even if you want to make a switch up from Lou Anarumo, I will say this, that is something that Sean McVay did with the Rams when he came on board. He was young. He was inexperienced. He knew that, and he signed on Wade Phillips, one of the best defensive coaches the NFL has really ever seen. Not a great head coach, but is a guy who had head coach experience. He's a guy who, uh, you know, was a very successful defensive coordinator. He brought him over and immediately kind of had a veteran coach soundboard to talk to, to work with. Zach Taylor, from some of the rumors we heard, tried to do that when he got involved with the Bengals, but, you know, Jack Del Rio never materialized. Dom Capers never materialized. So then he kind of had to go down the pecking order in terms of his choices for coaches. So, you know, I think, uh, I think that that is where a conversation about Jay Gruden, Hugh Jackson, maybe one of those guys I mentioned uh, coming back as defensive coordinators, whoever, um, that has both head coaching experience and successful coordinator experience. Maybe that's where that makes sense. Um, you know, we can we can kind of complain about Brian Callahan if we if we would like. He's not calling the plays. Zach Taylor is calling the plays. Um, you know, and and yes, Callahan is has a hand in that, but Zach Taylor is calling the plays on a play to play basis on offense. And when you're scoring, despite the offensive line issues, despite all the injuries. When you're scoring 14 points a game, 14 and a half points a game, that doesn't excite anybody. That doesn't inspire anybody. Um, there is an obvious issue there. Uh, you know, 10 points on the road to the Raiders. I mean, that's just unacceptable. I mean, it's just not acceptable. And uh, I, I think a lot of people have to kind of come to grips with the fact that Zach Taylor both in accepting this job and, and assuming the play calling duties may have probably has taken off a bit off more than he can chew, uh, especially as a first time head coach. This, this might've been something that he should have evolved a role. He should have evolved into instead of just taking that on, assuming that mantle right away. I'm Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast and cincyjungle.com. Thanks for joining us. I know usually we, we do these on Sundays after the game or, or, you know, a few hours after the game, if it's a primetime game or what have you. But uh, unfortunately I was just limited on what I could do yesterday in terms of coming on here. But uh, I wanted to, you know, get with you guys and and chat about this. I appreciate you tuning in on, on this Monday. Um, You can get all of the information, all of the news, opinions, analysis, all that stuff on cincyjungle.com as well as our Cincy Jungle podcast channel where there's a number of different episodes of shows. You can get the, the the shows also on our YouTube channel and the podcast is available basically wherever you, you get a podcast, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, all that stuff. So um, check out the show how you can, subscribe. I, we appreciate the support. Uh Jay Dalton Wildermuth says, why does the NFL allow someone like Mike Brown to run a team so poorly? There should be rules for owners to keep teams competitive. Um, 
I think they've done that. I think they've they've instituted some rules. That's why there's a salary cap. That's why there's a, I mean, not really, but that's why there's a quote unquote salary cap floor. Um, that's why this league is known as, as a league of parity. You know, a lot of times, yes, there are the New England Patriots that are in it every single year. Yes, there are teams that, you know, the Chiefs seem to be constantly in the hunt. Um, they, there are a handful of teams that seem to be in it, but there are also one or two teams that kind of sneak in every year and, uh, you know, make things interesting from a playoff perspective. And it's because this this is a league of parity. But you are – Jay Dalton is right. This is a team that is not run like – any other team really in the, in the NFL. Um, and I, I, I go back to something I've said for a long time. Now, if you don't want to engage in free agency and spend a lot of money in outside free agency, that sort of thing, fine. And you want to make the draft your bread and butter. And that's where you want to get guys fine. And maybe the occasional trade fine, but you have to allocate the proper resources for the strategy. And this is just kind of like business 101, right? You have to, if you're going to do the draft, you got to hire analytics guys. You got to hire a robust scouting staff with multiple scouts that have quality experience. You have to have a true GM. You have to do those kinds of things if you're going to invest in the draft. If you're not going to spend the money on, on players and spend tens of millions of dollars on players, then spend a portion of that to beef up your internal staff to ensure that your strategy is as successful as possible. That that's just basic logic. Instead, this team continues to kind of do, do the bare minimum when it comes to some of these operational practices. And that's why you have an own 10 product on the field. Um, now, once again, with Cordy Glenn's issues with AJ Green's issues, you know, you got John Ross, what's going on with Drake Kirkpatrick, all this stuff the medical staff issue comes into question again, because are they treating injuries? Well, are they treating them effectively? Are they diagnosing them at the onset? Effectively? We were told AJ green was going to miss probably no more than two games when he suffered that injury back in on the first day of training camp. And here we are 11 weeks into the season, 10 games in, and he hasn't stepped on a football field, at least not with pads in a game. So, you know, you have to wonder what's going on there. The Bengals have also said, they said it so much this offseason that they feel like if they stay healthy, they can win with this roster. They didn't stay healthy. They didn't diagnose that there were some, there were some rumblings about Jonah Williams, potentially his shoulder was maybe a little bit of an issue in college. That didn't seem to be noted by the Bengals scouting staff, if that was true. I mentioned the AJ Green that's issue that's lingered on now for you know three months after it was supposed to be maybe a, a month to six weeks type of thing. Uh, if you're going to not spend the money on the players, the veteran players outside, you have to spend money on ensuring that your draft is is a success and that the guys that you have in the building that are effective players that they remain healthy or as healthy as possible. 
injuries are going to happen. They're part of the NFL. That's why I didn't really like the Bengals embedded excuse of, hey, we think we've got a good roster. We just got to stay healthy. Health doesn't happen in the NFL. It doesn't really happen. Um, so you, you have to have good contingency plans in place, and this team is not doing that. Uh, I will say this. There, you know, there's Jason Von Stein. How's it going, Jason? Eifert isn't hurt. At least there's that. Yeah. I mean, he's also not really being used as much or uh, as he's not as effective as he used to be either. Um, but, you know, I guess that tends to happen. Uh, I want to say this. Because a lot of people are talking quarterbacks. By the way, Jason Sears in the Facebook chat, gray hair, heart attack type of season. I hope not, buddy. You, you stay healthy there, Jason. <laughs> don't, don't want that, buddy. Uh, I, I will say this because a lot of people are talking about quarterbacks for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I mentioned now a couple of times the points per game issue, the Bengals not doing much on offense. Uh, really, it, like I said, they're not even losing in an exciting fashion. I guess yesterday was a little bit of exciting because it actually did come down to the wire and they weren't being blown out by five touchdowns like they were the, the week prior to the Ravens. But 10 points is 10 points, multiple turnovers. That's not a fun game to watch. It really wasn't. And it's not like the Arizona Cardinals, for instance, who have three wins. They almost beat the 49ers. They're putting up mid-20s up to the 30s point points per game. And guess what? They picked a quarterback at number one overall and they've flipped flipped the script of DVOA values of their offense from this year, as opposed from last year to this year. They're, they're ranked much higher, and they still aren't a very good team. So, I mean, they are moving in the right direction. They've got their quarterback. They're building the offense around him, and they're putting up points, winning the occasional game, but they need, they need more help. And my point is, there's now some news with the Bengals. They still have the top pick being 0-10. Uh, Washington, I believe, lost. So they're kind of nipping at their heels with one win. You've got the Jets with two wins that are up there. Miami lost again. So they're up there. The, the big news is with Tua Tagovailoa, who as of Monday was going under the knife for a dislocated hip and other issues that he suffered in a game that where his team was up by four touchdowns and uh, was carted off the field. And, you know, obviously that's going to affect his draft status. That shakes things up immensely um, that there could be teams that say, you know, he's fallen way down our board between the ankle issue, this hip issue and other things he's had in his past in terms of injuries. And so he's, he slipped down our board. There are teams who could say he's a good player regardless. These are just a couple of freak things, and we're going to take a chance on him. Quarterbacks don't get hurt really as often as maybe a tight end, a receiver, some of these other positions because they're not tackling or being tackled on a play-to-play -play basis. So maybe teams disregard that um, and, and kind of know that getting him provides potentially a redshirt rookie year in the NFL. But – there, you know, there it, he could fall farther now in the draft. It also raises the the value of an LSU quarterback, Joe Burrow, of Oregon's Justin Herbert. Both played very well on Saturday. So now, this kind of for a team like the Bengals that has a, a perceived need at quarterback and is the likely route they're going to take with the number one overall pick, should they hang on to it? 
those it, it's very interesting now the dynamics with that pick in that position based on the Tua injury. So we haven't really had a chance chance to talk about that, but that's going to change some some things with not only the Bengals but how really the top five, top ten of the of the draft shakeout. You know, if if Justin Herbert is the guy that the Bengals like more than Joe Burrow, do you still take him at number one overall? Do you move back a few spots? allow maybe a team like Miami to trade a bunch of picks. They maybe get Joe Burrow or maybe even Tua if they feel so inclined. You pick up a couple of picks and you pick up a Justin Herbert. I don't know. Um, but this definitely shakes things up. And Tua might have been the Bengals' number one guy on the board, for all we know, uh, or, or the guy they had been targeting to take with that number one pick, for all we know. We, we're not really sure. We're not in that locker room, but – or that, that front office, but uh, that definitely that injury affects a lot of things in the NFL draft and, and especially with the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm uh, going to get to just a couple of few more questions and comments here before I get out of here. Uh, Rob, Rob Bellamy, do you see them firing Lou Anarumo and the offensive coordinator at the end of the season? Potentially Anarumo. I don't, I don't think Callahan. Um, I, I don't think Callahan gets the ax so soon. I think uh, it, it's, it's to me, there are some other dynamics at play with this situation too, because Zach Taylor has done. Zach Taylor has been a little bit of the deflect blame guy, right? This year with, with the issues, he's pointed out the injury. Now he's not, you know, woe is me, woe is me. But Preston Brown was a guy that was released based on a lack of productivity. He benched Andy Dalton. We know about the injuries. So is is he going to kind of continue to ride that next offseason to be and say, you know, but Brian, you didn't get it done this year, even though Zach was the guy calling the plays. Is he going to point out Brian Callahan? Is he going to point out Lou Anarumo? Um, I, I don't know how many more scapegoats Taylor can can put in there, but, you know, we'll see what that – we'll see what he does this offseason. I think – he probably is going to keep most of the staff intact for one more year, try and get it where maybe he gets his quarterback. He does get as frustrating as it sounds. And what I just talked about a few minutes ago, he does wait to get some of these guys back healthy, including potentially even bringing back AJ green. And you have the staff in place. You have a healthier roster. You have a new quarterback. Maybe that's the route he wants to take to have some form of continuity or, it's kind of the knee-jerk reactionist, and you know we, we got to make a change. Personally, I, I I would I would look at some things and say some major changes are needed, but you could also look at it through the lens of these are inexperienced guys, and the only way they're going to improve as coaches, much like players, is experience. And if he sees the potential there, if he likes the direction things are going despite all the injuries, maybe he hangs on to both of them. There have been. I will say that the defensive side of the ball has been somewhat healthier than the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and from that standpoint, Anarumo's unit not performing well has more of an argument for him to be ushered out over Callahan. Uh, you know, we, we have seen some regressions from the safeties, although both those guys in the last couple of weeks have started to play a little bit better. Williams and Bates uh, Jackson had, has been have quietly having a pretty solid season at cornerback, um, especially in terms of lack of re receptions, completion percentage, all that kind of stuff. 
but he let up a you know a big catch yesterday. There's you know there's just issues all over the place. There are issues all over the place, and I think if you're able on offense to sustain more drives, score more points, that in turn has a kind of a, a an effect on the defense where they're they're better rested. They're not rushing back out on the field after maybe giving up some points on a long drive. I don't know. Uh, this is going to be a very pivotal and interesting offseason for the for the Bengals coming up in 2020 because I think there's going to be a lot of change whether that means one or both of those coordinators are gone I don't know I the other thing kind of pointing to Anarumo is he was kind of the last hire of all these guys Callahan was a guy Taylor liked from the get-go it kind of felt like Anarumo was a little bit down the pecking order in terms of who he had wanted especially based on the rumors I mentioned earlier with Del Rio and Capers and all of that um, so that may point to Anarumo kind of being, Hey, this is what I have for this year. And it didn't work out. Let's move on. Um, we'll see. Nothing would really surprise me, <laughs> I guess is, is my take on things. Uh, let's see if there's anything else here. Uh, yeah, Jason Von Stein, Taylor needs a Wade Phillips type of defensive coordinator. I talked about that earlier. Um, Jay Dalton, Wildermuth, if there are a lot of OSU players, I assume that means Ohio State, they would be a lot better. Uh, we tend to do this as fans where, you know, if you also pay attention to the college game, you, you sometimes judge the player based on the collegiate uniform they wear. I've noticed this a lot. I think a lot of you know that I'm, a, I'm pretty partial to, to Justin Herbert. I do like Joe Burrow a lot. And Joe Burrow may even be a little higher, even to me, than Justin Herbert on the, you know, on the, on the list here. Um, but the big thing I hear about Justin Herbert is Oregon – quarterbacks don't work out in the NFL. Well, Ohio State quarterbacks don't work out in the NFL. Um, USC has had a spotty record after having tons of Heisman winners, some of which at quarterback. They have not had the greatest track record with quarterbacks in the NFL. And you can look at Matt Barkley, Matt Leinart, Mark Sanchez, you know, the the kid uh, Sam Darnold in New York right now is kind of having an up and down year too. So, I mean, there, there's, you can look at the, the college and say, oh, this is where they, you know, they just need to get these guys from this college or you need to stay away from this college. You got to have good talent evaluators. You have to know what you're looking for and you have to identify players that fit in the schemes you want to run. And those are the players you bring in despite, obviously, the better schools and the teams that have better records, they tend to have better players in college. That's obvious. But I don't think we need to pigeonhole ourselves into saying, well, you know, Oregon quarterbacks don't do well in the NFL. So automatically Justin Herbert's not, I don't like, I don't like him as a pro prospect. Um, You know, if the Bengals had 10 other Buckeyes on, on their team, they would be, you know, six and four right now instead of 0 and 10. I I don't, I don't know that you can necessarily say that you just need to kind of, they need to, the Bengals need to engage in the scouting process at a much higher and much more effective level and get guys from programs like those, but bring those guys in to help them out. If you notice too, 
there was uh, some comments made about w- with the Tua injury that a lot of Alabama guys come into the NFL pretty beat up um, and they, they experience injuries. And, uh, you know, I think it's physical play in the SEC. I think usually Alabama has an extra two games or so traditionally on their schedule because they make the college football playoff and or the national championship. Like I said, physical, physical, physical. They like to run the ball a lot. Um, they do like to pass the ball a lot too. But I mean, they they like to play physical football, and that's that can take a toll. You know, there are guys that come in the league. Drake Kirkpatrick had some injury issues coming out. Jonah Williams, we mentioned before. Number of uh, Andre Smith. If you want to go back there, he's another guy that had some injury issues on the at the onset of his career. The I think some of that was more weight issues than anything, but. Um, Alabama and their prospects sometimes have uh, some warts coming in as prospects to the NFL. So uh, I, I think that that's uh, I, I don't think we should definitely, we should not scout based on the college uniforms that players wear. So um that's something to think about. Someone asked, uh, I believe, let's see. Yeah. Bill, Bill Wagant, uh, or I'm sorry. Uh, Chandler Banks asks, how many compensatory picks do we get? I don't think there's very many, uh, because the Bengals have not, did not lose many high, high profile free agents last year. And, uh, I, I don't, those get announced, I think a little closer to the actual picks and where they are. I think they get announced a little closer to the draft. If I'm not mistaken, I don't have that information offhand. It is a good question. It is an area in which the Bengals seem to really, that's why they like the draft. They get, you know, instead of if they let some of their free agents go, they get free picks and that's, uh, they like that. But, um, I, I don't, if it's anything, it's not anything substantial, uh, I don't think there are any at this moment in time, but uh, ask me that again as we get a little closer to the draft. This is Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm going to get out of here. I've been over here uh, on the air here for over 30 minutes. I appreciate all of the questions, the interaction, and for tuning in a little later than usual uh, with this post-game reaction. But the Bengals fall to the Raiders 17-10 to in Oakland. Joe Mixon had a good game. The defense wasn't great, but they created some turnovers, had a couple of big plays and held the points to a minimum. The offense, Ryan Finley, et cetera, did not play very well. Um, unfortunately, Ryan Finley, uh, even, even with the battered offensive line, the battered offensive unit does not look like the answer. Bad interception at the end of the game. He had, um, he just didn't play very well, did not play very well. And uh, you know, 282 yards in two games, that's not exciting football. So uh, the Bengals need to figure something out. Chances are they will stick with Ryan Finley still throughout the rest of the year to at least see what he can give them. Um, I don't see, I don't see Jake Dolagala coming in. I don't see Andy Dalton coming back in, but stranger things have happened, I guess. Again, I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can uh, join us after every game, usually right after the game for these post game reactions. Um, but uh, we did a little later this week. Appreciate you joining in. Uh, 
Check out cincyjungle.com for all the news, opinions, analysis, all of that. And check out our podcast channel with the Orange and Black Insider podcast and others. And you can get all that stuff where basically wherever you get your audio podcasts or you can go on YouTube to get it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later this week for our podcast and or after the next game for post-game reactions. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back.